Moore's got utter belief in him. And somehow she's found the acceleration. It's back, people. Are you ready? The Let's Run.com summer training program is here. 12 week base building program designed to get you in shape, whether you're a high school, college, or college athlete, or post collegian. I'm going to do it. My buddy Chris Lear is going to do it. Last year, we charged you $150. This year, I've gotten permission from Weldon. I'm going to include it in the Let's Run.com membership. So, don't wait. It's already June 2nd. I should have started this last week, but I didn't realize how late in the year it was. Starting now, go to letsrun.com slash coaching to get the details or go to letsrun.com slash subscribe to become a letsrun.com VIP. Well, that means I'm going to start training as well. But guys, I picked up a soccer injury. If this gets in the way of my soccer playing, I don't know what's going to happen, but excited to be a part of it. It motivates me every summer myself, even though I'm one of the coaches. Yeah, I'm sure that Rojo and John Kellogg will take good care of you, Weldon. Now let's get to the podcast here. Huge weekend of track and field last weekend. Welcome, everyone, to the Let's Run.com Track Tour podcast. I mean, look at all the stuff we have to talk about. We had action all around the globe, from Doha to Portland. We're two weeks out from the Olympic trials, and Shelby Houlihan still hasn't raced. We break down all the action from the Portland Track Festival. Is it time to panic for the Bowerman Track Club? We also break down the NCAA regionals and look ahead to the best matchups at next week's NCAA championships. And, oh yeah, our high schooler ran 334 in the 1500. My God, I mean, crazy week of action. And plus, this is this is going to be an all-voicemail show, right? We're going to go... We plugged the voicemail line last week. We're going to go to all the message. Oh, wait. Do we have any voicemails, Robert? Did you guys check anything about that? I forgot to check. But we do vow the first Give time... Give them the number, Robert. Audio. Give them the number to call in. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, you can reach us by picking up the phone, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. Extension 3, you'll be connected to my cell phone. Extension 7 is a secret voicemail-only line for the show. You got a very good chance to get a pair of shoes because I will. T- I'm making it my mission right now. Call the number. I will check the voicemail. I started the show by saying it's sponsored by the Electron.com Summer Training Program, but really, I, I should have said it's fun. this is this may be my last podcast. This show is sponsored by AMC, the stock ticker. I, at the advice of my great friend Chris Lear, I've put some money in there to the moon, baby, to the moon. Robert, I, I don't follow the stock market this clo- that closely, but wasn't this a big thing? Like four months ago is amc is is that still i thought they reverted back to meme stock or is there a resurgence there's been a recent resurgence can we get that guy what's that runner's name who made like 25 million dollars or something what's his name keith gill he's actually roaring kitty on youtube he started tweeting again his tweets are, are money they're always just like great movie references and stuff i was like why is he tweeting again something must be happening in the stock market yeah roaring kitty can you please contact me because i need to know when to get out all right, speaking of someone whose stock skyrocketed over the weekend, I think we have to start about Hobbs Kessler, right? He essentially, like, this was the storyline coming out of the Portland Track Festival. He runs 334. He's only fifth in the race, but which was won by Craig Engels, the reigning U.S. champion, in a PR of 333. So he looked good, but Kessler runs 334. He takes four seconds off Webb's high school record of 338 he takes two seconds off jim ryan's u.s under 20 record of 336 and he's now one of only seven americans with the olympic standard in the 1500 so i don't know this this was just craziness to me i mean 
I know there are reasons to say, oh, the Super Shoes, oh, he's a perfectly paced race, oh, he's training with pros, but, like, he's 18 years old and reading 334. Can we just appreciate how absolutely freaking nuts that is? Yes, John, we can. I think we all were appreciating that this weekend. Oh, wait. Robert, immediately, within four hours of the race ending, publishes an article saying, oh, wait, 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 hold on, let's don't go crazy on Hobbs Kessler. It was just poor form, poor journalism. We had to take it. We didn't take it down. We diminished the importance and let Robert republish it yesterday. But, Robert, you got to admit, this was absolutely unbelievable. What do you mean? I was very excited by the performance. I actually paid for the broadcast and turned it on right after Craig Ingalls had crossed the finish line because I saw Craig smiling and he hugged somebody. And it was Hobbs Kessler. And then I guess the announcers didn't realize at the time what had happened because then they started talking about Hobbs Kessler. That was literally when I turned it on. I was very excited about it, but I'm very upset by the way I write an article. All I was going to do is put a point in the we- in the recap of the race by saying, this is great, but... And then everyone freaks out and acts like I'm sort of not excited by this. I'm excited by it, and I, I-, I understand how optics are everything, but I, I wasn't trying to rain on the kids' parade. I, I-, I love Ron Warhurst. I love this story, but... I'm not as impressed by this as I was Alan Webb. I'm not saying Cobbs Kessler is not an insane talent. I just think when Alan Webb did it, he did it 20 years ago. He finished fifth in one of the most prestigious miles in the world. This kid finished fifth in some race in the middle of nowhere in Portland when everybody and their grandmother was PRing by, you know, anywhere from zero to five seconds. Well, Robert, I think one aspect of this that's interesting to me is Hobbs Kessler does not appear to have broken through to the mainstream the way that Alan Webb did after his 353. And maybe it's because it's a 1500, not a mile. But, or maybe it's just because the media landscape is more fractured than it was in 2001. But back then, he runs 353 on national TV. Then he's on David Lederman. He broke the record, which has stood for, what, 35 years by Jim Ryan, who was a legend, who was very famous when he was at his peak. And it it was a huge deal in the United States. Whereas Hobbs Kessler, I mean, does it, do any non-running people know about this? I haven't seen it covered by any sort of major mainstream outlets. Some of the Michigan press, I saw some people were tweeting on it, like, you know, newspapers in Michigan. But it doesn't feel like this is a Web 353 moment for the sport. It's not. I mean, I think two things matter. One, the stage. This was some streamed in the middle of the night event that no one outside of us, you know, hardcore track fans watched. It doesn't mean diminish. That's an amazing event and everything really cool to see. And also it's not the mile. So, you know, so-and-so broke the 1500 meter record. Most people are like, what the hell is that? They don't, they won't get it. So maybe well, the Prefontaine meets later this year. Kessler needs to go get in a mile, but I mean, the crazy thing is afterwards, he was talking about how he did a quadruple the week before. That would be a 4x8, an 800, a mile, and a 2-mile at the Michigan Regional Meet. He's got a state meet this week where he'll, he's going to scale back and do the triple. So this kid's you know still competing on his normal team, and then he flies off two, three times a year to these professional races. But do you guys think after this weekend it'll be his last race as an amateur? I don't know if he'll sign a deal before the trials. That's probably, the if he wants to maximize his earning potential, it's probably the best time to do it because I don't think he's going to make the team. But I 
at this point, I would be surprised if he honors his commitment to NAU this fall. Just when, you, when you've run 334 in high school, I mean, remember, he ran faster than the NCAA record. That doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to beat Yard Nagoose or Cole Hawker if he threw him in the NCAA next week. But his, his, the money is just going to be so big that I think it's like with Drew Hunter when he turned pro. You, you kind of be foolish to turn it down because money in this sport is not a given. So I do expect him to turn pro. He's he's going pro, let's be honest. But look, the thing that I most like about the Hobbs Kessler, and I consider myself to be a huge fan, is A, look at that. He's doing the high school season. He's still tripling and doubling. He's not being a prima donna like some of these kids. I mean, I, 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 I don't, well... I don't know if I want to name names. There's a very prominent freshman miler at the NCA that I was reading about on, uh, on the message board. And they said this kid went to a high school that had a great program and the kids normally double and triple, but he refused to do it. He would only would run one event. Mary Kane wasn't even on her GD high school team. So I think you get a lot out of being on a team and the college experience. If my son happens to be a Hobbs Kessler type talent, I would try to have the best of both worlds. Why can't he go pro now and still go to NAU and be part of the team and either be coached remotely by Ron on certain days, like he does, you know, right now he does some of the high school workouts and does some of his own workouts. He could do that or go to Michigan and the same thing. I would want my kid to get the college experience. You Hobbs, you can have the best of both worlds, you know, on, on, on that front, but I'm really excited that he's still doing this team stuff. I, I think it's important. And I also love the post-race interview where he said, you know, he wasn't talking about making the Olympic team. He was talking about making the final and, if could he make the Olympic team? Yes. Will he make the Olympic team? I don't think so. I mean, Alan Webb in 2001, when American distance running sucked, didn't even make the team, the world championship team that year. So think about that. Yeah, Robert, if looking at his Olympic chances, I mean, I think Centro you have to put ahead of him. I think Engels you have to put ahead of him. I mean, he also lost to Vincent Ciardi and Henry Wynn, who are Americans in this race. And then the college guys, I just think, have more experience running, you know, championship style races in the rounds and that would be Cole Hawker that would be Yared Nagus and maybe even Cooper Tia so I just think you know Hobbs Kessler there are three rounds at the Olympic trials remember that so he would have to navigate three rounds and then still have the ability to kick by these guys who are there are a lot of good American milers I just I feel like that's so much to ask for him I don't think he could do it he does have this amazing kick like would I be totally flabbergasted if he made the team no but I, I think it's just it's a very competitive team to make. I don't I think making the final is a huge accomplishment f- just for, for Kessler. Well, I think the strategy is simple. I, I kind of disagree with some of what you said. If I'm him and, and he gets in the final, I just tell him run in the back, try to finish in the top half. He's kicked the last fifty. He's always mowing down so many people. Like try to sneak your way onto the team by getting third. These other guys are gonna be worried about being top three and you catch them at, at the end. And as for his future, Robert. I, I think he should turn pro, and I think you, you mentioned it, like, getting the college atmosphere. Look, it's very tough with these guys, anyone who turns pro out of high school, because immediately, if they don't have success in the first couple of years, you're going to say, well, they should have done X, Y, and Z. Oh, he should have, like, Drew Hunter, he should have gone to college. What You know, the, you know, he made a mistake. Oh, Mary Kane, she never should have gone out to Portland. She should have stayed in New York. You know, there's so much looking back and second guessing. And the fact is sometimes like progression isn't always natural when you're 18. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be better when you're 19, but you could be better when you're 23. Like this sort of progression can happen in fits and starts. But I think if I was Kessler, his I'd stay in Ann Arbor. 
I'd keep the training set up right now. I think he's got a great environment. He's got some good mentors and people around him. I'd go to Michigan. It's a good school. You know, if you can make that work, if you can't get into this year's class, try to maybe reapply for the fall of 2022. But I think that that will be what he's got right now seems to be working very well. I think I'd try to just stick with that for as long as he can. The one thing that I don't like about this whole Kessler talk is people on the message board saying like, he's better than any collegiate ever. No, he's not. He's run faster than they ever have in the college season. But Andy Weeding ran 330 in the summer. Matthew Centrich won a goddamn Olympic uh, World Championship bronze medal when he was in college. Jim Ryan, I mean, when he was 19 as a freshman in college, ran that 351-mile world record. All of them are better than Hobbs Kessler is right now. So, yes, he's faster than they were in the college season, but he's not better than any collegiate in history. That talk is not absolute nonsense. So that, that was the one thing that, that, that bothered me. I'm just trying to put things in perspective, people. That's my job as a pseudo-journalist. If he goes pro, is he competing with Cole Hawker for the same money? I feel like in the past, there's only a couple shoe companies that have shown the willingness to show out the big bucks, right? And that's really, I mean, Nike's number one. They're scale, they've scaled back a bit. Adidas has a history going after the high schoolers. And that that's really it, right? I mean, no one else has really stepped to the plate. New Balance has done it on the women's side, but they've, they have almost no presence with American men. Do you think well, New Balance new- might make a bid here? Otherwise, like the other brands just haven't shown the commitment to go after the A-plus superstars. New Balance does Maybe have Under Armour wants to get the Olympic favorite in the men's 100 meters, who's, I would say, is a pretty big star. Like, I think any of these brands, like, look at, like, Puma's been going after, they've been dropping a ton of money. Like, I think any of these brands might have a fund saying, like, look, do we, if we honestly think this person's going to be, like, one of the three biggest stars in the sport for the next 10 years... They'll say, okay, we're going to make a big gamble and, and bet on him. But in terms of the ones, you know, the most logical candidates, you would you would think Adidas, number one, just because in recent years, they are the ones who have committed most most money to high school athletes. Noah Lyles, Drew Hunter, Arian Knighton, they've all signed with Adidas. Nike is always going to have money, but they haven't, you know, they, they were cutting some of their their budget from last year. So who knows, like, what their appetite's going to be. Uh, but he, look, he's he's going to be in high demand. Like Hobbs Kessler, if you're a miler, if you're a phenom like this, people are going to want that. And yes, he'll be competing with Cole Hawker for the same money, but I don't think there's any reason why they can't both get paid. Look, Adidas overpays for high school talent, and they also let you do your be your, an individual and just do whatever you want. But, I mean, a lot of groups have money. They just might want you to join that group, which would be good for him. How many people? Nike's probably going to want you to join a, a team. Even Reebok, Weldon says there's not a lot of groups. Reebok pays just tonight four, five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand dollars a year. I heard something absurd. He's making Drew Hunter type money, so plenty of people have money. But this gets back to what I said when I was talking to that prominent coach after NCAA indoors. Cole Hawker, if he wanted to maximize his money, should have gone pro the very day that meet ended. Because now, yes, there, there's only so much money to go around. If you're a shoe company, are you going to get all three of these milers? You're going to get Nagoose, Hawker, and Kessler? No. And that leads to, leads you to, leads me to my question. Right now, if you have the number one pick in the 2021 track and field draft, John, and you're on the clock. See, this is the weird thing. In track, you could sign all three. But in the NBA and sports teams, you only get one. You've got one pick. Who do you pick? Cole Hawker, Kessler, 
or Nagu? Well, Robert, first of all, I don't know if you've followed the NBA recently. The NBA basically has become a star-stacking league. Like the Brooklyn Nets, who just eliminated my Boston Celtics, have Harden, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. So my immediately when you said, oh, you can't get all three of them, I was like, wait, what if some like some new company emerges and just says, we're building a super team, we're going to dominate the mile in America for the next 10 years, we're getting Nagoose, we're getting Hawker, and we're getting Hobbs Kessler. I think that would be amazing. That would be phenomenal. Like, can we get, like, Champion to come in or Fila or something like that? I don't know. But, or what was, there's some Italian, Diodora. I've heard they have money. Maybe they could do that. But anyway, to get back to your question, I mean, I'm taking Kessler. He's 18. I mean, Cole Hawker's about to turn 20 next week. Yard Nagoose is, is 21, I think. Like, they're both really good, but just, the seal. He ran 334 as an 18 year old, and his kick. Like I know we've gone crazy about Cole Hawker's kick, and I think we should. It's really great, but Hobbs Kessler is running Michigan splits that no one's ever done, and Ron Rojas has coached all these great athletes. I just I'm going Kessler. Yeah, I saw that thread on the Michigan, and I just figured it wasn't. I don't know. I just sort of didn't. I'm like, well, he's not better than the pros that Warhurst has coached, so I just didn't know what it meant, but. Maybe he is. Yeah, I, I'm totally. I totally take Kessler. Um, I don't know. He's just the young phenom, so his upside seems maybe a little bit bigger. Hawker, obviously, very talented. Nagus probably going to win the NTA. Well, that's the funny thing, right? Well, like picking the number one pick. If you ask me, who do I think is most likely to make the Olympic team this year? I think it's probably Yared Nagus, but. In terms of like, and then like, you know, getting on the Olympic stage, if you're on the U.S. Olympic team, you have a pretty good shot at making the Olympic final. So it's kind of funny that we're talking about that. But, and then next year you have the world championships in Eugene. But I, yeah, I would still take Kessler for the next 10 years. I think the way this is going to go is obviously he's going to, he's going to go to Adidas for Kessler. And then Hawker, who, no one else is going to let him stay at Oregon and be coached by Ben Thomas unless it's Nike. So uh, Hawker's going to go to Nike and then Nagus is, you know, he could go with any of these other groups. You know, I, I would think. Who says Hawker has to stay with Ben Thomas, though? Well, why would he want to change? Just, I mean, call it. Well, he might want to go to, well, right. But if he goes to, if you want to go to a premier top group, you're probably going to go to Bowerman. Although that's, I'm sure the Brooks Beast are upset because I think people are sleeping on Josh Kerr. Josh Kerr is damn good. I've never said otherwise, Robert. But Robert, would you would you take Kessler? Would, is he your number one pick? John, you want me to turn my back on my boy Yard Nagus, the one I'm on record saying would make this Olympic team? I'm not a Fairweather fan. I don't know honestly though if I would go with Nagus just because he doesn't have the 5K endurance. I mean, Hawker's got sick 5K and a 146 800. So you, he's got. I think his endurance isn't quite as good. Nagusa's endurance isn't quite as good. I do think Kessler's endurance is pretty good. I mean, he hasn't run a fast 5,000 because he hasn't really tried. Um, I'm going to punt on that question, John. Do a rare time. I'm not going to decide. Wow. I, I tune into the Let's Run.com track talk podcast to hear Robert's unvarnished hot takes. And now we've got one of the best questions we've had in weeks. And he's just pleading the fifth. Robert, I'm, I'm ashamed of you, frankly. Well, I like to take the contrarian views. I've just written an article about how Kessler sucks, and now I'm going to pick him number one overall. I did talk to my buddy Chris Lear about it. He didn't hesitate. He said Hawker. I mean, he said Kessler, excuse me. It is interesting. It shows sort of what, why you need to sign right away, because if you're Kessler, we all sort of agree. You sign him, and two and a half weeks from now or three weeks from now, he's not on the Olympic team. 
Then he's a, a freshman, most likely. You know, he makes it. It's just like crazy story, everything. And then most likely next year, you have Eugene right away. And like, does he make that team? He's still a young kid. And you've jumped all of this money, you know. So it's it's an interesting game that everybody plays. Yeah, but one thing I, I think also is I don't think these, you know, if one guy goes with one company and another goes with another, I don't think that... I know there's only a certain amount of money that can go around, but I kind of also feel like this is like the major marathons too. There's a certain like, there's an idea of like what you're worth and the companies kind of pay you that. It doesn't be like, oh, well, we've already spent this money on somebody else. Like an agent knows like, okay, this type of performance is worth a quarter million dollars a year, half a million dollars a year. That's what we want. And we're not going to settle for anything less. Guys, we need a break. We need a refreshment break. Who here has Apple Pay? John, do you have Apple Pay? Uh, What? No. Well, John's a loser. I definitely have Apple Pay. Yeah. Oh, how do you pay for things in stores? Like, I uh, use this Apple. thing called a credit card. Sometimes I, I even use these things, the green pieces of paper that I can give them. Okay, well. Robert, open up your iPhone, please. Everyone at home do this, too, if you have an iPhone. But you can do it on regular phone as well. I'm kind of surprised John does use a credit card, by the way, because, you know, in, in Europe, they don't use credit cards very often. At least go to your go, Safari you know, browser, or you can click on the link in the show notes. The US, so. Type in drink LMNT slash let's run. Robert, tell me when you've done that. LMNT. LMNT. Yep. Slash let's run. Dot com. LMNT recharge okay. sample pack. Starting the clock. Click on get yours. Check out. Go, Robert. Tell me when you're done. Who here wants electrolytes without the junk? Drink LMNT. I love this stuff. There's no sugar, nor artificial ingredients. It's great. They have cool flavors. Check it out now. $5 sample pack delivered to you. You can check out in seconds with an iPhone or an Android. Doesn't matter, but Apple Pay makes it super easy. Does Google checkout, PayPal. You can be done definitely under a minute. I'm not sure if Robert knows how to use Apple Pay on his phone. Okay. It's processing. I had to change my address. I didn't I have my Apple Pay had the wrong address for me. So shipping. Now oh, it's one done. minute. Now it's one done. minute and he changed his address with Apple Pay. Drink LMT, five dollar sample pack, shipped your way. If you don't like this stuff, I personally will refund your five bucks. Check it out. You have nothing to lose. Do it today. Before we get to renaming this thing, the Hobbs Kessler podcast, there were other results to talk about. Let's start in Portland and let's start with that race because Craig Engels, you know, 333 US champ. I mean, this this to me was a big deal for Craig Engels. He had not been running well. He basically admitted to Ken Go afterwards. He had struggled with motivation. He hadn't been, you know, he'd been racing like trash, he said. And he comes out and wins. I, I feel very good about this. I think... Him and Centro, I'm feeling pretty confident about both of them making the team now. It was a big win. And Craig's got that moxie, you know, when he wins. He sort of celebrates. I think he's got that sort of it factor people assume might really carry over as a pro. And he just hasn't really had it recently. So I thought it was a huge win for him. It's kind of crazy. His his PR now is like less than a second than Hobbs Kessler's. And this was a PR for him. I mean, that's just nuts. And I still can't make sense of these fast times because none of these guys have really been running that great this year. But Craig's shown he can do it at the USA Championship level. Yeah, I expect him to be on the team now or a strong contender. 
I'm still not going to put too much stock in all these times, though, because everybody ran so fast. It was a perfect night for running fast, but Craig won the race. That's the most important thing. Actually, looking back at the results, I realized uh, earlier I said that Vincent Ciotti had beaten Hobbs Kessel. That's not true, but you did have in this race, Engels gets the standard in first, 333. Henry Wynn, 334 in fourth. Cobbs Kessler, 334 in fifth. Vincent Ciotti, 334 in sixth. So four Americans ran under the Olympic stand in this race. And, you know, Mason Furlick, PR, Josh Thompson, who was top three at USA's in 2019, he was only 11th in three. He still ran 335, though. So, yeah, really fast times across the board. Okay, I, I need to go back and watch this tape because, I, I again, I saw the end. I did not see the beginning. I, I wanted to watch Thompson. I'm not giving up on him making the team, John. Was he up front the whole time and then faded at the end? That's what I heard on the message board, that he packed it in. People were worried he, he'd gotten injured. Got injured? I don't know. I just think that if he, has the, if he doesn't have to worry about the standard of the trials, if he's got the world ranking to get in— He's had a sick kick in the past, so I would think that he could be someone that can make the team. I'm not that confident. This was a, a resurrection for Ingles in the sense of he was kind of middling through. I didn't see him making the team. I now can see him making the team. I don't get how you're struggling with motivation during an Olympic year, and it seemed like last year during right, he got lucky when COVID came through because he was in bad shape. But I, I, the way I view it is Centro's a lock. He's on the team. And then I think it's going to be Ingles, Nagus, or Hawker. The, the, those are the three picks and everybody else you're getting lucky if you make the team but i i would probably give kessler a higher chance well, henry Wynn beat him john did henry Wynn beat him in he did race? you know the gregorix the wins etc of the world yeah i see i mean in terms of the four guys you mentioned there robert centro angles Nagus and Hawker, I view it the same way i and i think it's i think centro's a lock i think angles i feel the second best about and then I think it's those other two guys, the Collegians, Hawker and Nagus, for the last spot. And I wouldn't have said that before Engels' race on over the weekend, but I think Engels is a smart racer. He's the reigning U.S. champ. Like, if One thing I was impressed by in this race is he was boxed in with about 300 to go, with 200 to go, and he just stayed patient and then finally worked himself free on the home straight and had the gears left to move and, and run away from this field. So that was really what was most impressive was he didn't panic, and I feel good about him making the team. So we have a bunch of different events to talk about from this meet. I mean, some surprising results, some surprising non-starts. I mean, should we go to the 1500? Because there are two women I really want to talk about in the women's 1500. One is Elise Cranny, who won this race in dominant fashion. She ran 402, kicked away to the win over a pr pretty quality field. Uh, I guess all three women, actually, who were entered from Bowman, I'm kind of interested. Sinclair Johnson did not run well. She was 10th in 406. Now, 406 isn't that slow, but when you're getting beat by the likes of Ali Buhalski and Rebecca Mira in a 1500, that's just not that's not a great sign for your Olympic chances. And that's a second straight subpar race for Sinclair Johnson. So I think it's time to get a little worried about her. And then the third Bowman woman is Shelby Houlihan, who has entered. And instead of running this race, she scratches. She runs a 357 time trial the day before, but she still hasn't raced in 2021. So there's a lot to unpack from this race, the women's 15. Okay, John, before we get to the Bowerman talk, I, I know you don't like it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a step back from 5,000 feet and doing a broad overview of the week's action. And here we go. 
Folks, Monday was Memorial Day. Please honor those that have fallen for this country. But right now I'm going to honor the great coaches that have all fallen. I wanted to start the show with Taps. John said I was not allowed to do it because he says I overplay Taps. But I love to do it. And probably the biggest winner of the last week was maybe me in my coaching ability because all of the people, all of these great coaches that John has put on a pedestal and tells me how great they are and how they make these runners have been exposed as a fraud. And I'm going to go through them all right now. And we can, we're going to come back to them one by one as the, as the show goes on. But Jerry Schumacher has been as exposed as a fraud. Larry Lopez Lamont was terrible. He could, I know he won a race, but it was the most depressing win of all time, 13.26. Carissa Swider's a 14.20 woman. She can't even break 15 minutes. Sinclair Johnson can't even break 4.05. Kieran Tuntovit, this guy's a 27.17 guy. He runs 13.42, and Sean McGordy gets worse than the Steve from 8.20 to 8.22. Um, Evan Jager, my God, he doesn't even race. Shelby Houlihan does a time trial instead of racing. And who else am I missing? Going down to the collegiate ranks, Andy Powell. John worshipped this guy at Oregon for years after years. He's taken a 334 guy from Sam Tanner. This guy, when he's at home in New Zealand, he runs 334. He shows up, Andy coaches him, can't make the NCAA final, and he sneaks now into NCAAs, and Eugene is the last qualifier. He's taken Leo Doshback from sub-4 in high school to 347, and Cruz Culpepper, Alan Culpepper's son, wants to transfer out. Mike Smith of NAU, John's new most recent flavor of the month, Blaze Farrell, a sub-28-minute guy, doesn't make NCAs, nor does the U.S. under-20 record holder Nico Young. Oh, and if that's not enough for you, Galen Rubb can't even break 28 minutes anymore. My God, John, get back to me when I ever have a guy that runs 13-24 that doesn't make it to NCAs. And we're not even done. Mark Wetmore, what's what's that guy's name? Herrera? He's the 13-20 guy. He bombed NCAA cross-country, couldn't even finish in the top 100 after winning Pac-12s. He doesn't make NCAs. And even these Notre Dame coach, I don't forget, Sean something, Carlson, Danny Correa, top 10 in NCAs, doesn't make, doesn't make it to NCAs on track. So, John, these top coaches have been exposed as frauds. If you want the top coach in the country, that's John Kellogg. He sits seven, eight feet from me every day. We will coach you this summer. Sign up now and pros, come to me. Hobbs, it looks like Ronnie's doing pretty good, but if you get tired of Ronnie, come to me. We'll coach you as well. Wow. I need a towel to dry myself from the bucket of schadenfreude Robert has just thrown over this entire podcast. Robert, I realize now if you had a radio show like about other sports, you'd be the guy on Monday morning every time Bill Belichick loses one game. You'd be like, this guy can't coach. What has he done lately? Oh my God. Like this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Get him out of that. You know, sometimes athletes have bad races. Just as you don't want to give a coach all the credit for a good race. I don't think you need to give him all the credit for a bad race. There's also this thing called nuance, which you claimed earlier in this podcast with the Hobbs Kessler analysis, that you're a fan of nuance, that you like bringing analysis to these situations. Sometimes there are more than more things at work here than just a guy Ryan bad, like blaze Farrow, very injury prone. He didn't start the race. I'm guessing Guess what? He might be injured. You know, some of these other guys could have other things going on in their life. They're not robots. They are human beings. So sometimes it's good to bring context into this. Now, I will say, you know, you look at Bowerman. He's a pro coach. These guys are three, three weeks, two weeks now out from the Olympic trials. A bunch of his athletes ran poorly. I think with Jerry, it's more, you know, some of them ran well, obviously, as well. It's, it wasn't all bad. But I do think there are legitimate questions to ask. Are they just... You know, they've been in a heavy block of training. They'll be much better placed three weeks from now and make the team. I think that certainly could happen. 
or is something up? Are they, you know, are they in serious trouble? I think that's an actual debate worth having. But some of these other college, yeah, all right. Some some of these athletes didn't run well, but Mike Smith won four of the last five NCAA titles. I guess three of the last four and cross because uh, Eric Hines had the first one. Is he now a shitty coach because he had a guy, a freshman, didn't make NCAA? Well, I think the point is coaching's hard. And good athletes sometimes make good coaches look even better. But can we stop this talk that it was a terrible weekend for Jerry Schumacher? Shelby Julian ran a 357. Now, we can get there in a second. That's actually a very good run. So maybe training with racing men is a good idea. Grant Fisher is my pick to win the 5,000 meters of the trials. The guy looks fabulous, like dusting everyone. Elise Cranny, who's definitely not a 1,500 meter runner, is probably going to run the 10 and the 5 of the trials, just ran a 402. So that's three very good performances. I guess it helps to have a big group because... Centro looked great, too. I don't too, even give him credit for Centro. 146 <laughs> Centro, you know, was great at Oregon, great under Alberto. But yeah, shit, like, we were riding that guy off. So it's some pretty good performances there on Bowerman. Yeah, and one thing with running, it's amazing how well the top people are ready. Like, Usain Bolt all those years, pretty much, I guess there was the one Worlds where he didn't perform. He full starred it. That's the only reason he lost that race, 2011. Oh, 2017, I guess he lo- he got beat and got the bronze. But that it's was just what- amazing how the top guys are there. And some of the younger athletes, like Nico Young, that was a huge surprise to me. That guy's so talented. If you, you know, after cross, you said, oh, he won't make NCAAs. I'm like, and he appears to be healthy. I'd be like, oh, that's shocking. Oh, I forgot to rip Pete Julian for ruining Raven Rogers. Guys, I was kidding with that. My point is it drives me nuts when we put these coaches on a pedestal. If my son goes pro... Well, actually, when my son goes pro at age 16 and about four year, 14 years, oh, hell, it's 13 years, I'm probably sending him to Jerry. Oh, wait, Nike's going to use that again. Well, I don't want him running for Nike. Hopefully Jerry's well, – Jerry, Jerry will be will, – will be, Jerry and I will be coaching the, the Under Armour team here in Baltimore maybe. But um, I, I would probably send him to, to Jerry, honestly. So I, I think these guys are great coaches. I just don't – the, the threads on the message board drive me nuts. When, they, when someone runs well, they act like the college coach made the kid. And then, yet when they do poorly, no one's like blaming the coach. But then, uh, they're, they're all there. people are blaming the coach now. People are like, oh, Andy Powell can't coach. Are you kidding me? And these freshmen that have one bad year at, at, at Washington, they want to transfer out. Give me a break. Andy Powell is an established. He's a great coach. Mike Smith's a great coach. Carlson's a great coach. Wetmore, my God, I mean, if Wetmore had the talent of these other guys, I think that he would just wipe the floor of the NCA. So I, I just think that. These are all great coaches, but I think we overplay the role of the coach in the sense of the coach is the jockey. The horse is the star. Robert just said his son's going to go run for Jerry. Not my daughter. She'll be go running for On. Remember, people, the road to the trials on Let's Run.com is sponsored by On. And I, I need some help. Little Cece, you know, she's in the... She's been referred to the Connecticut 0-3 to program because she's not really crawling or pulling herself up. She's now army crawling. The doctor said not to worry about it. She still could play for the New York Yankees. Now, I didn't want to tell him that a, man is, that a female has never played for the Yankees, but I'm still holding out hopes for the Olympics. And there's a new On docu-series out. It's got my, can I call him boy, the founder of On. And this is cool. I told you guys, he tinkered with shoes in his garage. It's got that story. And guess who else is in there? This is part one of like a five or six part series. It's out. I'll put a link in the show notes. They then show Dathan Ritzenheim grinding shoes 
in his own room, like their version of the super spikes they're working on. And that's what I, we kind of, I thought when talking to him, I'm like, Dathan seems just like Olivier. So two like-minded people and new profile up on Joe Klecker. If you didn't hear that podcast, it's in the let's run archives, but we've got an article up on Joe now. And also, John's got an awesome article up on the Bowerman. Should we be worried about the Bowerman Tri Club? His new, he's made some locks for the Tokyo team. You know, it's fantastic. So I, I'm excited. Well, this on series, the, the video series that they've been promoting on TV is out. I, I've got to watch this. I am very excited about this. And I forgot on the shoes are beautiful. See, I, I do think Clayton, my son, loves to run. But I've heard something, John, this week. I think Weldon's daughter. That's where the real talent is because. We had an epiphany. Weldon's wife was a star lacrosse and field hockey athlete um, in high school and went to got recruited by a, a program that won the national title in college. And But she told Weldon this week that she, she did track her freshman year. Weldon didn't know this. And the coach told her, you can go wherever you want to go if you stick with this. So the real talent in the family comes from the female side, apparently. This girl's got double jeans. I mean, I'm expecting... Oh, and Robert, like, the uh, on-gear will be coming your way. I asked John, you know, like, hey, John, for the trials, you can get some nice on-shoes. He's such a purist. He turned him down. He turned it down. John will not take free stuff. I don't get it, John. Like, at NBC, they got the, the, the anchors and stuff. They got the gear on from, like, Nike or whoever's, like, sponsoring the deal, John. Like, that's how it works these days. No, with a big Nike NBC swoosh on them. Polos. With a big Nike swoosh on them, right? Robert, sometimes it's sponsored these days. John, it's the 21st century. I mean, you will be looking out there, you'll be sporting. I'm seeing on everywhere now. I'm comfortable with my decision. Shall we return to running topics here, guys? Well, not that on's not related to running, obviously. Alright, guys, I want to talk about Shelby Houlihan. Is this strange for anyone else? She's entered in the 1500. She's one of the best. Distance runners in the world. She's certainly the the best in America with the fifteen hundred and five k American records. She's supposed she hasn't raced all year. She's entered in the Portland Track Festival in the fifteen hundred. She scratches from that and instead runs a fifteen hundred meter time trial the day before. She runs three fifty seven. Clearly, she's very fit, but like, why the hell is she not? We know she's been dealing with a plantar injury in her foot, but why she hasn't raced at all she's backing out of a meet to run a time trial the day before that doesn't make any logical sense to me what's going on here okay there's a couple of things to break down the lack of racing until this point was because she was injured and training in altitude that sort of stuff but i think without the injury she would have raced before then then there's the question of why do a time trial instead of a race that one I can't really totally figure out. One, if you do a time trial, you can race men. So she had male pacers in this thing. You can arguably, who else is going to run with Shuey? Maybe you can get a better workout. It's a better, it's just an all-out effort. It actually might be better. The other speculation on the forums was that this might have been something like an Ajay Wilson situation or a Brenda Martinez where perhaps she had tested, you know, like a, I guess tested positive would be the right word, right? I hate to use those those words and that she was trying to get it cleared up, you know, some oversight and that she'd be ready to go by the trials, but you don't want to race in the interim. And John, you have an update on that, correct? Yeah, I spoke to her agent, Stephen Haas. I basically said, look, this was a rumor that was floated and the fact that she's very fit, but backing out and not racing, it kind of fits with that. And he's like, look, I haven't heard anything about this. If it 
if something like this happened, we would know that's her agency. So I believe him. Uh, so I don't think, you know, that hasn't, yeah, so that's basically my news on like, that. Now that we know that, I think they just decided, I'm just shocked she wouldn't race once, but you get dragged along by men. It's a harder effort, I guess. That's a good point, Welton. Why would she want to run a 402 race, John, when she can run a 357 race? She can control everything and run super fast. If you're thinking about Tokyo, you got to be in like thinking way sub 355 shape. So what's a 402 race going to do? Or maybe this is actually genius, Jerry, thinking long term, like we got to train her with men. You know, I, I hate to break it to the people out there, but the fastest men are faster than women. So by racing with men, she can get dragged along to faster times, be ready to be in better shape come trials, come Tokyo. I'm not worried about her making the team. I do think, though, she needs to be at 100% if she wants to medal. But she's not, let's be honest. We haven't talked about Doha. The big takeaway there was Faith Kip. Just give her the gold medal now. If Hassan's not running the 1500, give Faith Kip Yegon the 1500 gold medal. She's in supreme form. I mean, she destroyed everybody in this 800. The question I'm wondering now is should she try the double? But Kip Yegon's going to win the Olympic 1500 meter gold. But with Hassan out, you're already moving. Um, Hulahan up to third, right? So, unless Muir beats her. Robert, this is, you are, give her the gold. This is like the one of the Rojo tropes that just infuriates me. Like, someone will run one good race, and they'll just be like, hand her the gold, you know, game over. Gudolf Sagai ran 353 indoors. She wasn't that far behind Faith Kipyegon at the 2019 World Championships. You're just, like, yes, Faith Kipyegon is one of the best 1,500-meter runners of her generation. But... She's not unbeatable. I think Shelby Houlihan could beat her in the right scenario. But yeah, she ran. She is incredibly impressive. She closed in what twenty-seven for her last two hundred in this eight hundred in Doha. Really great running. But I'm not going to say she's unbeatable in the fifteen hundred based on one eight hundred meter race in May. Thank you, John. Thank you. And the fifteen hundred is going to be at the Olympics. Absolutely stellar. And if you guys wanted our hot takes on Doha, you need to join the supporters club. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Robert said he talked to me, uh, to me about giving away the summer training as well. I, I just said, I didn't really listen. It's like, Robert, do what you want. So you can also get the summer training for free. So it's a great deal, but we have a second podcast usually on Friday. It's called Friday 15 guaranteed to be at least 15 minutes, but it's, you know, shorter than this one. We preview the weekend action. We did a live show right after Doha broke down what happened there. My, John, well, I don't know where we're, we're talking about trials. My pet peeve, John, is John writes an article here with his Olympic locks. And then in the middle of the article, he says, Ajay Wilson, Olympic lock. And then there's the words, I'm a little bit worried about Ajay. Like, what? If it's a lock, you're not worried. Or unless you're, are you worried like MS-15 is going to come like bust through the lock or something? John, can you explain yourself? What's MS-15? Isn't that the big gang? Like they could break a lock. MS thirteen, excuse me. My f- oh shit, I'm in trouble now. I got MS thirteen name wrong. You've disrespected them, Weldon. I'm respecting them. They're the highest game. Well, he- all right. So here's the thing about RJ Wilson in the 800 because I was writing this and initially I was gonna say who's the lock in the women's 800 and I said no one. I'm like I'm not gonna and then I'm like 
No, this is ridiculous. Like, Ajay Wilson's won the last seven US titles indoors and out. She's been the best woman in the world in this event for the last two years, like longer if you don't count, you know, Semenya and Ian Saba. Just like three women are really going to beat her at the trials. But then I, I did make this point. She's She hasn't raced on the track since April 10th. She got beat by a toy goal in some road 600 a couple, like last weekend. But I, I'm i sorry. Three women aren't beating RJ Wilson in the trials. It's not going to happen. Shall we pivot now to NCAA regionals? Robert, you had a great recap on the website about all the crazy stuff that happened at those meets over the weekend in College Station and in Jacksonville. We had a collegiate record from a thing Mo in the 449.68. And yes, I'm not prepared to quite call her a lot for the Olympic team, even though she's the world leader right now. She's she's still only 18 years old. I'm, I just feel like calling any teenager a lock is a little bit presumptuous, but... Tons of good action. We already mentioned Nico Young didn't make it to NCAAs. I mean, the thing that I that's really struck me coming out of this is, I guess this is a question that's posed in our, in our Google Docs, so I'll just ask it to you guys. Which event are you most excited for at the NCAA Championships, which start next week in Eugene? Can I get a shout-out to the women? Because we've been spending a lot of time talking about the men's 1500 and Hobbs Kessler and whatnot and obviously the men's 1500 is must watch television with kip Singh of alabama hawker of oregon Nagus of notre dame but the women's 1500 is going to be amazing as well john i mean stanford's julia hamek has been insane this year she didn't run indoors she did cross i think she was like 13th or something but at pac 12 she won the 800 or was she second? Or I think she won both. 800 in the 5,000, 202 and 1549 at the same damn meet. So she's run 409. She also won the regionals in the 5,000. And then you've got Amaris Tinamisma, who, talk about freshmen since, you know, Young's phenom. She's technically a freshman, John. The Alabama, what was she, third at NCAAs or second at NCAAs in Carolina? Third. She just ran 409. She's in insane shape. And then Sage Herta is also a 409 woman. So, you know, Sage was seated, I think, second in the 15, in the 800 and decided to go for the 1500. So the women's 1500 is going to be really good, you know, as well. But the NCAs is the main point of writing that article is just how sick a lot of those events are. I mean, I think in the in the East Regional on the women's side, like seven women ran two oh two or something like that. It's crazy how good everybody is. Yeah, you had to break three forty, I think, in the East to make it in the men's fifteen hundred meters. Kip saying Frank ran a three thirty five, which was ridiculous. But Robert, you mentioned, you know, the men's... I mean, the men's 1500. This is the most excited I've been for an NCAA track race in a long time. I'm trying to remember the last time I was this pumped. It might... You might have to go back to Lobby Lang against Edward Cheserak at NCAAs in 2014. I mean, there's just... Oh, you know, with Nagus, with Hawker, Kip saying in there, even Sam Tanner. I mean, really, it's Nagus and Hawker. That's the showdown I'm pumped for. But there's a lot of good milers in this field. And I think it's going to be phenomenal with fans in front of Haywood Field. Oh, it's great. 
So that's it for you, the men's 15, John? Has to be. Yeah, I don't need to harp on it either, but for me, that's it as well. By the way, little notice point. I think it was Weldon or John's favorite 800-meter runner, who we thought coming in the outside shot at the Olympics, but has done absolutely nothing all year. Devin Dixon did sneak into the NCAA final at 147.65. So he will be at NCAAs, but the number one recruits in the country and Caitlin Tui and Nico Young will be watching it on TV like you and me. Well, speaking of Texas A&M 800 runners, we should give a shout out to Brandon Miller. I feel like we haven't talked about this guy at all on the podcast this year, but he's been terrific. He's a true freshman. He was the SEC champion. He runs 145.57 at regionals. He's the fastest qualifier. He beats Isaiah Jewett in that. He, that's actually going to be a great showdown at nationals between those two and then Charlie Hunter, the NCAA indoor champ. But Brandon Miller, 145 is a true freshman. I mean, he's been incredible. I can't wait to see what he does. John, we've talked about him. This guy was like the age group record holder at 12, 13, and 14. Maybe that was the weekend you were off, John. Well, and I spent a lot of time on it at one point. But can we talk about NCAAs? I don't really understand what these Kenyan guys are doing who are blasting every prelim. Like Wesley Kiptu took out the 10,000 and 60 flat, and he, you know, gets this massive lead. Like, I know he likes to run hard, but like, unless this is part of some like, important workout it just doesn't make any sense like at some level you need to tell him like this isn't really necessary you're just wasting energy and i love how kip Singh runs the 1500 but this guy's you know he runs 335 336 all the time from the front i i, I want to go back before nca john i didn't watch that heat because he was in the same heat as nagus nagus ran 336 in that race so did, were they testing each other out i would like to, to know that the, the sort of what they were both going that fast for no, I mean, Kip Sang just took off and then the rest of the field, you know, was still going pretty quick because he was setting the pace, but Nagus just let him go. Um, the question, I yeah, I, I have the same thought when I watch Kip 2 run. Like, it first, it's entertaining, don't get me wrong. It's kind of interesting to see some guy go out and record these ridiculous splits, but it's just kind of a stupid way to run. Like, going out in 60 for a 10K? Why? We saw him, he went out in 231, at the NCAA cross country championships and overcooked it and ended up fading and got smoked by Connor Mance over the last couple of kilometers. Like it's, you can't go out that hard without blowing up at the end or slowing down. It just doesn't seem very like he did win NCAA indoors. I'll give him credit. He ran 13, 23. He held on there, but against the absolute best of the best, which you getting at these NCAA finals, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. I don't understand why it's sort of like, why does he wear gloves in every race? Why does he do the things he does? He's an enigma, but I think if he wants to win more, you just like rein it in a little Wait. bit. I mean, the sport's more exciting with him in it, no doubt. But I, look, if he goes out in like two, 202 or something in the 10K, I think Connor Mance is going to run him down. I mean, can a guy like that go back to Kenya for the trials? Like, do you think he's even that type of caliber? Or is there just too much of a gap between the collegians and the pros? Because the big news this week, or not big news out of Kenya, interesting news for sure. And I guess if people were following, they would have known this for a while. But King Chez ran a 10K in Kenya this week. He won it. 
The article talks about him warning the 10,000 meters, John, but you reached out to his agent and they said the 10K went well, but the plan is that Edward Cesarek will try to make the Kenyan Olympic team at 5,000 meters. So the dream for running for America, the citizenship got delayed too long. It's really just not feasible for, I don't know, maybe a couple more years. I guess he still could become a U.S. citizen, but, you know, you only have so many limited years as a pro, so he's trying to go the Kenya route now. Yeah, it makes sense to me. And we said this a few years ago when we heard that he hadn't made much progress as a U.S. citizen. You know, his prime, when was Edward Cheserick's running prime? You know, it might have been his junior year at Oregon. So he could have made that, maybe 2016, he could have made the Kenyan Olympic team if he had tried out for it. And the longer you go without citizenship and not being able to compete in these global championships, this is what pro runners want to do. They want to run at the highest level of sport. Right now, the only way for him to do that is for Kenya. So... I get that he wants to be a U.S. citizen. He's been here for a while, but it totally makes sense why he'd, he'd run the Kenyan trials. But I think Cheserek is a good warning for people who want to go pro and not have a lot of structure. There's an advantage to being on a team. It just seems like ever since he's been on his own, he's just, what has he done? I mean, he hasn't had anything to focus on because there's no world, but it's not like Johnny's ever even run in Diamond League meets. Like, he just seems to sort of have been almost forgotten about. I, I always think back with him, like what if he had gone, it seems weird to me. Did, did, did Skechers offer so much more money? We talk about money. The Skechers offered him just a ton of money that Nike Bowerman and them wouldn't give. Like if they're going to, why wouldn't Nike go after him after all he did for Oregon? It just seems weird to me. I, I would love to know the backstory there, or maybe they did and Skechers just paid so much. So we talk about some of the other pros going, you know, these high schoolers going pro. I mean, Skechers could offer the money, who knows, but when you're pro, it's just, particularly if you're not American, if you're not breaking 13 minutes, you're not really relevant. If you're not one of the top five guys in the world, so it's really hard. There's a big gap for someone like Kessler. The NCAA is a good medium ground there to get. But you guys were talking 10K. Connor Mance's name came up. I was thinking of this the other day. And also in, in light of Kessler and all these guys running fast, I think of, of do you guys not think of Mance as like a grinder? Like he just grinds it out from a long way and he's really good at hammering a hard pace. Not a big kick guy. He's got a 337, 1500 meter PR. Admittedly, 337, 96. But that just shows you everybody's running fast. I mean, Mason Furlick, I think, has got a really good shot at making the Olympic team in the steeplechase. But this dude ran 335 in this Kessler race. So I'm not saying anybody can do it. But that's why I, again, think that Webb's 353 is more impressive. I don't understand why over 60% of Let's Run Nation and the poll that we have up on the homepage is saying that Kessler's 334 is better than Webb's 353. They're wrong about that. I just wanted to batch out to that Cheserek point you made, though, Robert, because he has had a very interesting, like, unorthodox professional career, right? Because he turns pro in 2017. He was injured for his senior year NCAAs. Then 2018, he ran that 349 mile indoors. Everyone was hyped about that. Like in February, it was like, whoa, this guy can, he's a mile or two. This is incredible. So, and then everyone's very excited for his diamond league debut in the two mile at pre he finishes 15th in that race. And then doesn't really race all the rest of the summer. I think he was hurt. Then 2019, he actually does go to Europe and races. He runs 1304 in Houston. Maybe he couldn't get in a diamond league. I'm not sure. Then 2020. Well, that's COVID year. Uh, he ran, you know, he stays local. He ran twenty seven twenty three for ten k. You know, he's 
I don't know. He just, I feel like this is the summer to get in some Diamond League opportunities. And I asked Stephen Haas, who's his agent and his coach, and he's like, look, we did actually think about going and running some Diamond Leagues this summer, but it's hard to get in the age of COVID still in Europe. It's hard to get a visa from Kenya to compete in these meets. He's like, well, we had a pretty good opportunity to compete in Kenya. So they ran this 10K, which he won. Now we'll have the Kenyan trials. If he makes the Kenyan Olympic team, you would hope at some, you know, he'll be on the, he'll be on the Olympics there, and then you would hope after the Olympics he'd have some opportunities to run in Europe, and that the COVID situation's a little better for you know for competing for Kenyans abroad. But I'm going to be watching his Olympic trials with interest to see if he makes that 5K team because Kenya has had some other young talents emerge recently. You've got you know Nicholas Camelli's run 12:51, and you know some other guys as well in there. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think it was smart to go back to Kenya, get used to racing at altitude again, because you got to be ready to go at altitude in Kenya to make the team. Yeah. Cause yeah, he's, he's based at altitude in Flagstaff, but he hasn't really, I don't, I think this was his first ever race at altitude to my knowledge. So yeah, it's good to get one under your belt. But what does this mean? So he runs for Kenya. When can he run for the U S what's the sitting out period? Isn't it like three years or something now? I mean, so he's out for the 2024 Olympics like as well. A- good reason like I, I it's pretty sebco has made it sort of part of his mission to make it harder to transfer allegiances so i don't know i mean sally kipiego changed to america a couple of years ago like i think diane nakuri did as well so i, I don't know exactly but it, it's going to be a little while i think especially if you just recently compete for kenya speaking of which the doha diamond league kenya's noah Jeruto won that in nine flat point six seven She's one of the top steeplers in the world. She spanked Emma Coburn. And my other hot take was going to be the U.S. is going to get shut out of the medals in the women's steeplechase this year at the Olympics. I, I think we're, we have a lot of people that traditionally medal that, that it's not looking great for. Jager, Coburn. But there's always four or five people on the circuit that are running faster than Coburn. She seems to get it well. But if Geruto gets her citizenship for some other country, which is somewhat Eastern European country, John, help me out here. She's a member of a club in Kazakhstan. But she's never competed for them at a world championship, and there's st- she's still her world athletics profile still lists lists Kenya. This doesn't make any sense to me. Let her run for Kazakhstan. I mean, I, I don't get it. But if she does, that's bad for the U.S. because she, you know, not Chip Kowicz, We haven't seen her outdoors, but Jaruto's run nine flat. Ethiopia has a steeplechaser. This nine hundred two woman, Makitis Abebe, national record. So, again, just like the men, normally Ethiopia is not any good. They are good all of a sudden. And then if you put a Kenyan on some random country, it's just going to be all the harder for Emma Coburn. So, again, folks, when the Olympics are – don't worry. When the Olympics are over, I will be reminding you of all the smart things that I did. But you heard it here first on June second, two 2021. The U.S. women will win zero Zilchnada medals in the Olympic women's steeplechase. Robert, this is just, again, this is classic Rojo overreaction. It's just like hand Faith Kipugon, the gold medal in the 1500. Emma Coburn, 908, that's a fine opener for her. That's, I think, it's exactly what she opened up in 2019. She ends up with a silver medal. Emma Coburn knows how to get in right around 9 flat shape, 902 shape, for the, for the biggest race of the year. She's run her two fastest times ever in the World Championship Final, 2017 and 2019. Um, she broke her American record in the Olympic final in 2016. She knows how to peak better than anyone in this event. She's medaled in the last three global championships. I think, you know, 
I like her chances to medal again in 20, 2021. Would you like to bet money, John? Even money. About Kobo and meddling at the Olympics. I'll give you two to one odds. I'll take that bet. I'll, I'll put up 10 bucks. I was going to say you put up 50. I put up 100, but okay. Oh, 15 bucks on. You, you hand me. I gave you 20. You give me 10. No, 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 no. Other way around. I give you 10. You give me 20. Correct. All right. Well, now I guess I'm a member of the Emma Coburn fan club now. Uh, no pressure, Emma. Breaking news to report, folks. Breaking news to report. That's my favorite sound of the podcast. Taps has got to be second, but I've just received a text. Okay, not true. I received this text a week or two ago, but I forgot to say it in last week's podcast. <laughs> The Let's Run.com intern, the guy that helped stream the American record attempts indoors to the world, and we asked for donations, and we gave him some money, and he's bought a pair of super spikes. They have delivered. Wes Gable, congratulations, folks. Let's hit a round of applause. He has broken 10 minutes for the first time, 9.56. He was feeling confident that he could do it because he ran 10.02 and had a big close, and boom, 9.56. Also, it looks like the other guys that helped out in the second meet, well, this freshman guy's run 159 and 439. He just broke two for the first time. So, what's his name, Robert? Armand Chopra. Would be an Olympic contender if he decides to switch sexes and join the women's category for the trials. All right. Well, congrats to Armand and Wes. It's sub 10. That's a big deal. I still remember when I did it for the first time. Wilmington, Massachusetts. Spring of 2007. Yeah, so congrats to Wes. Speaking of high schoolers, John, you noticed that a bunch of high schoolers ran really fast in the sprinting last weekend. I was kind of cut off guard by this because I thought we'd written one of them off after he didn't do well at the Reebok Boston Boost Games, but apparently he's back. Tell us what happened. Yeah, Adidas Boston Boost, Adidas Boost Boston Games. But yeah, Jalen Slade. So yeah, he was lined up in the 100, this, the Dream 100, for high school is in Boston on the street meet track. And he only got third in that race in 1047. Now, granted it was into a headwind, but I was like, I was, I was shocked. He wasn't the best high schooler in the race and I didn't watch it. So maybe he stumbled or something was wrong. I don't know, but he comes out and he runs in Claremont on Sunday night against the pros. And he goes 10.09 for third behind Isaiah Young, who runs 9.89, and Noah Lyles, who runs 10.05. So that is tied for number three all-time in high school history. The high school record's 10 flat. So that was incredible. And he's also only a high school junior, remember? Then the next night, Arian Knighton is in the 200 at the Duval County Challenge in Jacksonville against Trayvon Bromel. He walks down Trayvon Bromel over the final 100 and runs 20.11 which is just two hundredths off of Noah Lyle's high school record and breaks Usain Bolt's world under 18 best of 20.13 from 2003. So another huge weekend. These guys are going to be fascinating to watch the Olympic trials. I think both of them can make the final in the 200 meters. Making the team might be a stretch, but I think it's it's Michael Norman, Noah Lyle's 2.0. The Duval County Challenge, John, was that the ESPN meet? It was. It was part of the American Track League. Look, it was on ESPN2 on Monday night. It was great there was even on ESPN2. I just have to say, though, if you're putting a meet on ESPN2, I tweeted about this, you need to have a clock on the screen. 
It was so Bush League that you don't have a... Like, Lewis Johnson and Sonia Richards-Ross, they were doing a pretty good job with the commentary. They did their best, but you need to have the clock to tell people, especially like a 400, just have a clock on the screen, have it stop when the winner crosses the line. People need to know what they're seeing. You know, they, they had hundreds and, you know, they were fast hundreds, sub 10 on the men's side. And then we don't get the news until after they come back from the commercial break that they were actually wind aided. This is just a, a requirement. If you're going to broadcast a meet, you need to have a clock. And if it's a wind aided, you need to be able to tell right away. Well, from our one little broadcast, somehow we got a clock on there. It didn't stop, but we could. We kind of realized that was important. I was just more curious about the name. I hope Duval County put up some money. It just for me on ESPN, I think it's a curious name, but I'm really glad that track and ESPN too. So Paul Doyle's doing a good job on that front. A few things to sort of tidy up, maybe on the broadcasting side. But these high school kids, they're running fast. I it goes back to we talked about the street meet i don't get, give a shit what someone runs on that track like it does it's, they're bouncing around maybe some guys don't run on that i just don't think it's not it's i think this performance shows is it's not the same to me um but i don't know I, so i guess my takeaway these kids they're not making the olympic team right because i'm like i'm thinking well 100 going to be too hard and then the 200, I'm, I had question marks in my head if Noah Lyles could somehow get beat. And if Noah Lyles doesn't make the team, these high school kids aren't making the team either. I mean, ter- you've got Terrence Led, you've got Noah Lyles, and you've got Kenny Bednarik in the 200. So I think all three of those guys are going to make the team ahead of these guys, the high schoolers. You might have a couple other people in there as well. But th- I think they'll be in the final. I think they're among the eight best in the country right now, or, or close to it at least. One other interesting result from this meet, Dalila Muhammad ran her first 400 hurdles race since setting the world record in Doha in 2019. And she was in the B heat. Track and Field News reported she had a minor hamstring tear a month ago. She ran 55.01. She won the B heat. The A heat was won by Shamir Little, who's had a fantastic season. She runs 53.12. That's a world leader. But it's kind of crazy, you know. We talk about Shelby Houlihan earlier this year. It's uh, earlier this podcast about how she has two of purportedly the biggest U.S. stars, the women who are responsible for one of the races of the Doha World Championships in 2019, Sydney McLaughlin and Dalila Muhammad. They've combined to race one 400 hurdles race in all of 2021, and it was a 55 second effort. So that to me is quite bizarre as well. Well, I will point out, John, in 2016, when Delilah was pretty good, right? She won the Olympic gold. She opened the season at 55-45 with the 55-45 loss at Drake. So weather probably wasn't good at Drake, but I, I that's point number one. Point number two is she's not the only one. They, they aren't the only 400 hurdle stars that haven't been racing this early in the season. Where's Karsten Warholm? Yeah, he. I mean, he didn't travel to Doha to run the 400 hurdles there, but he's going to be on the Norwegian team. He, it's not like he has a national trials that he has to make the team at in two weeks. These other two women do. Actually, looking up Warholm's stats from 2019, doesn't really start running hurdles till this time of year anyways. Back then, he opened up on May 30th, 47.85. So really end of May, middle of June was his second race. So 
probably see him pretty soon. I mean, I'm curious about McLaughlin. So she's unless she races this weekend, I assume she's not racing four hundred hurdles before the trials, which to me would seem very weird. Uh, maybe I should look her up on Instagram to see if she's racing this weekend. But if she doesn't race this weekend four hundred hurdles. She goes in there fresh. Should that be a red flag? I mean, she's PB in the hundred hurdle. It's not a red flag to me. I, I've said this before. I think it's some of it is the coaching. Coaches want to make themselves look to be the guru, hold her out of it. First of all, the women's hurdles are so low, and she's so talented. She can take a safety and make that team. Well, although we're pretty good at the 400 hurdles. One other result that came in, this was from Tuesday in Montreal, France, was Francini and Saba, the intersex runner who is not allowed to compete in the 400 through the mile because of the World Athletics DSD regulations, she's refusing to take medication to lower her testosterone. She tried, she's trying to make it in the 5,000 to the Olympics. And the standard's 1510 a couple weeks ago. She runs 1512 in Spain, just misses it. And then in France, she runs 1454, goes way under the standard. I mean, she's going to be at the Olympics. With that kind of time, she could be an Olympic finalist. I think you can still argue she might have an advantage uh, as she is DSD, but I think you got to admire the hell out of Francine Niansaba. You know, it's a huge blow. The event that she's been one of the best in the world at, she's no longer able to run it. She can't move up to the 1500. She has to learn a totally new event and dedicate herself to it. And she does, and she gets the standard easily. I mean, I'm, I'm just so impressed by her determination and resiliency uh, in the face of a tough situation. It's interesting, John, because... I too am glad to see she made the team, which sort of I've I think I've talked about this before. It kind of intellectually goes against what I stand for. Like I don't think the intersex athletes should be allowed to compete in women's sports, but I kind of was rooting for her to make this team. And so it's kind of like I guess as long as they're not really good, it's okay, which doesn't make sense because she's still gonna keep let's say she does make the final. She still does keep somebody else out of the final. But for me, I think life the one thing that's lost in the modern world is sort of some sense of compromise. So this is a good interim situation. I mean, she sort of came up in a difficult, these rules weren't in place when she started her career. But, you know, the women's, it would be fascinating if you had been enforcing these rules going back in the day. And I don't want to name names of other people I think were intersex, but I think basically the last 20 years of the women's, if not more, 25 years of women's 800 have been dominated by intersex athletes. Yeah, I mean, Joanna Harper's book, Sporting Gender, she has in there just, it's, I think it was 30 or something medals from the 800. I'm not sure if that was the total number, but it was a significant portion of the medals in the women's 800 have been won by intersex athletes uh, going back a few decades. With the intersex stuff, it's complicated. I'm glad she she made, made the team. I mean, in some ways, I almost feel like these women who were competing in the... And also, we use women's category. Like, when women relates more to gender than sex. We almost, I feel like we should change it to say female category. I don't, I, I don't know. It's just because everyone gets these things c- concluded. But I think the more the d- divisions are based on biological sex, the better. But anyway, they made the rule. You can't run, what, 400 to 1500. So great for fancying finding a way to do this at 5K. I almost feel like also since they got deprived, their livelihood was taken from them. They almost should have been compensated by the IWF, even though I support the rules. But I think in general, intersex people, it's weird how they, how 
the success has been in the middle distances. So maybe the science only supports that. But I, to me, it would seem like you would have an advantage in a wide ver- variety of events. So I, no one's ever given me a good explanation of why so many of these women like congregate in the 800. But that's what we've seen on the international stage. Yeah, I mean, my sort of theory I've heard tossed around that I tend to believe in is just because 800 works on both endurance and speed that you're getting a double advantage there from both ends, but I don't know if there's there's anything to that or not. Now, we already had one Rojo's rant in this podcast, but I have a topic that might prompt a second. Last week, Runners World reported that USATF will be running a two-section final in the women's 10,000 meters at the Olympic trials because at this point, over 50 women have qualified in the event. Robert, do you like this decision? No, I do not. And I think you should perhaps be suspended for saying that it's a good idea. You can easily put, you got 50 people. That's not too many for a 10,000. We run, we just ran 48 and four 10,000s across in the, at the regionals last weekend. So put them all in one race, do a stagger. If you want to have an 800 meter stagger, that's fine. It'll be separated out by then. Mile stagger. I don't care. You can figure it out. It's not that complicated. One of the, these people do not know how to market the sport. The, the beauty of the Olympic trials is one race, go make the team. And one of the bigger storylines was we were going to see how people like um, Kara D'Amato and Gwen Jorgensen, could they possibly pull the ultimate upset and make the team? Now they're going to be running in a B heat. No, put them in one heat. This yet again, shows me that USATF does not care about the little man and the little woman. They only care about the super elite, the people who are going to make the medal, win the medals. They don't care about making the team, and that's a big part of it. And someone's, I put that on the message board, someone's like, well, that's, that's who they're supposed to care about is the medalist. No. USATF is supposed to care about distance running in this country and promoting it. You have one race, that's what you need to do. That's what the Olympic trials is about. Having two races is absurd and stupid. Look, I don't think it's an ideal situation. But I think it's the best solution. Why? What? what? The, the best solution, John. One heat. What's wrong with one heat? I don't want to just have half. I don't want to have the top ten just running around lapping runners for the entire second half of the race. If you're lapped, you're gone. If you're lapped, you're gone. This is a trial to so make the Olympics team. Give everyone a chance to make the Olympic team. You're saying they you don't care USATF. They don't care about the little guy. But if you get lapped, you shouldn't even be allowed to finish in what might be your only Olympic trials. That's what you're telling me. Correct. This coming from a man who was lapped. Robert, I was lapped right in 2000 Olympic trials. I don't know. It's a pretty bad race. I would have no problem if that was the rule. You're there to make the Olympic team. If you can't make it, it's a trials race. You're done. Step off the track. You run like shit or you're not, you're not good enough. You, they gave you the chance. You knew the rules going in. Boom. Otherwise, it was called a qualifying standard. You hit the standard. It wasn't said, they never said, hey, you need to run faster to actually get in the final. Oh, uh, besides, we're going to actually change the rules three weeks in advance. You know, what if someone just, they now need to go run another 10K? Like, what's Gwen Jorgensen going to do? Or is she just going to, the 10 second for the women, right? But I, I, a lot of people might just been focused on hitting the standard, figure they'd give it their shot at the trials because the women's trials will go underneath the standard. The standard's soft enough that the race at the trials will go underneath the Olympic standard, I think. So it's just an unfortunate situation. And 
there's a way to do it with, with one race. I know John thinks he's the best in just because he doesn't want to have people lapped. Why? Because it doesn't look good on TV. Tell me they're stick, stick on the rail when they get lapped or move out to lane three. I don't give a shit how it looks on TV. The race, I want to have these people. These people have been training, devoting years of their life for this moment, and now they're not going to have it. It's absolutely absurd. And if they are going to go with the two heats, the way to do it, there's been a lot of proposals on the message board. The way to do it is everybody with the standard is in the A heat, and then only like 14 people, whatever it is, they're in the A heat. Everyone else without the standard needs to be in the second heat, which I'm sure is going to anger some people, but I think that's the best way to do it. There's not... Th- that's the way it's going to be anyway. No, they'll put the top 30 people in the A heat and then everybody else in the B heat. Well, why would you want only Olympic standards in the A feet? No, I don't like that. Robert, why would you like it that way? That's like, what if you're two seconds off the standard? You should be allowed to compete with the good people. Because then it's going to give the incentive for the B heat to run faster. There's already a huge incentive for the B heat to run faster. The incentive is if the there is fast heat doesn't go fast enough, they'll be on the team. And as a, as a, someone who enjoys chaos at national championships, sometimes this could be a ridiculous. This could be a great opportunity for chaos because if you're in the B heat, you're going to get the top women in the B heat. If they have any sense, will get together and say, "Hey, we're going to try to make this as fast as possible. We need to run under the Olympic standard, which is thirty one twenty five, but we probably need to go even faster than that." And just try and force the pace. And whoever holds on, you see if that person's time holds up to make the Olympic team. And I think it would be wild if in the in the fast heat, they don't want to go out quickly enough, and they don't end up getting you know surpassing the time from the A heat from the B heat, and someone from the B heat ends up on the team. I think that I don't think that's the fairest or best scenario. But I, th- I enjoy some chaos in these meets, and that would be total chaos. And even if I'm someone like Emily Sisson, I'm not happy about this because she wants a fast pace in this race. And if they're all in one heat, someone's going to make it fast. She's got more people to help her with the pace. Now she's got to be the one pushing the pace. This is so st- – USATF, I mean, it's amazing how they no. butcher simple things year in and year out. And we're going to have – you know, 1500s with 27 people in it. When we get to 24 in the second round, it's going to be a disgrace. They should have 45 people in the 1500 and in this, this race. And again, when someone falls in the women's 1500, they won't rerun the race like they should. <laughs> That's all I have to say. I'm done with this podcast. Robert, here's my concern about the lapping stuff is what if we're on the final turn of the race, two people are battling it out for the final spot on the team. And there's a, you know, three or four lapped runners that they have to maneuver around. And one of the lap runners realizes that it's going to be, they're about to be lapped and they move out, but they go out too slowly and they're interfering with someone. I don't want that determining an Olympic spot. And I'm wor- I, that's probably, there's a, that could happen with a two-section final, but there's a less chance of it happening. I just don't want that situation in play. We already said, John, you're pulled from the track or you have to go out in lane three. And you're told that in advance. They'll get close to you. They get within 50 meters of you. Someone comes out there. I'd say a man tackles you. I'll say a woman tackles you off the track. Like, it's just you make it clear you will never be allowed to run again if you don't follow these rules, blah, 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 blah. There's ways to handle that. I think we're done discussing this. I actually think an easier way, John, would be, well, it says move out to lane two, but that is a problem. Sometimes they don't realize you're being lapped. You may just keep everybody on lane one, and the, and, and the people that are winning need to go out to lane two and run extra distance. It's simpler and no one's going to fall, but this is absurd. Yeah. I, I do agree with you there, Robert. That is an easier guideline to follow. All right. Anything else before we wrap this week? Yes, John. Very good news. Last week's podcast, I hinted that there would be fans at the Olympic trials. So we're going to end with good news again today. 
you guys heard the news. The Australian softball team has touched down in Tokyo. They are in Japan. First Olympic team, to my knowledge, that it has arrived in Japan. Hopefully this will change the news. COVID cases are down 40% in Japan, and people are still advocating for canceling the games. But I think this will change the public relations a bit. And another couple weeks, once the hospitalizations drop as well, because they trail two weeks, we'll be full-fledged for the Olympics, which will take place in this year, hopefully proving the naysayers long, and we'll have hopefully have a healthy Olympics as well. They're going to be there for two months before the Olympics? Well, I was trying to figure that out. Like, why are they there? It's just like a public relations thing. Like, does Japan freak? Like, we need a team here quick. Yeah, they don't have, like, COVID in Australia, right? Yeah, good point. There's no COVID in Australia. There's really actually not that much COVID in, in, in Japan, but there is some. But the Australian team hasn't been allowed to fly anywhere to play anyone because they've been quarantining in Australia. So they're about as safe a team as you can bring into Japan. And there's a Japanese professional women's softball league. So they will then go play those teams. So it's their best way for them to prepare as well. So win, win, win. I would tell the fans to get their tickets for the Olympics. But you guys will not be allowed. It'll only be Rojo and Jonathan. You guys are a few of the privileged people allowed to be in Japan for the Olympics. Yeah, we just need a hotel now, right? They say they'll get back to me on that. Tokyo organizers aren't letting John and I buy a hotel. But I did buy my ticket today. I'm very excited, folks. Zika kept me out of Brazil, but COVID, you're not keeping me out of China. Out of China excuse me, Japan. It's <laughs> uh, great. Robert, did you cover the Olympics in 2012 or was that Weldon? Have you covered an Olympic Games before, Robert? What do you mean? I covered the Brazil Olympics. You mean on site? On site in the stadium. I mean, half the journalists don't even watch the meeting on purpose. In person, they just stay in the basement in the interview room. That's a no. That would be a long way of saying no. I have not. I'm not trying to slight you. I, I just want. Are you excited for this, Robert? Your your first Olympics. You're the head of the most influential running website in the world, and finally, he's making it there to the press pack at the. The Super Bowl of the sport, the Olympic Games. Well, I was excited until the coaching debacles of this weekend. I'm, I'm just afraid that the shoe companies and the college coaches, college ADs are going to be demanding that I take over some of these programs this weekend. And I'm, it's kind of a, <laughs> a lot of travel for a guy and, with a young family. And John, as we learned for this week from Naomi Osaka, and a lot of the some members of the press, it doesn't really matter. The journalists don't need to be there. You don't need to even talk to athletes. It's just not important. I'll be there. I don't know what the setup's going to be for the mix zone or what kind of access we're going to have, but we will do our best to get you the best coverage possible from Tokyo. All right, guys. Until next week, we got NCAAs. This is going to be a packed week. NCAAs next week. The week after that, the Olympic trials are here. I mean, June 2021. This is what we have weathered the COVID storm for, people. This is going to be an amazing month of track and field. That is true. And remember, the countdown to the trials is sponsored by On on Let's Run. And within 30 seconds from now, guys, well, one minute, if you have to change your address like Robert, you can ha- have Drink LMNT on your way. Link in the show notes, drinklmnt.com slash let's run. And don't forget to get in shape. Let's run.com slash coaching. Yeah, and you get the free extra podcast. I mean, this is a win-win-win. So either way, you have no excuse not to sign up now. Till next week.